Welcome, everyone, to the new episode of the Truth and Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting in the middle of nowhere. Happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully, you got fat. Hopefully, you had a great time. Hopefully, there was no arguments, no talking about politics, no talking about anything that, that will create any confrontation between you and your friends or your family, whoever. Hopefully, you had a great, a great holiday. Hopefully, you were able to enjoy this Black Friday weekend where... There are amazing deals in random places for phones, TVs, etc. and so forth. So ladies and gentlemen, week 12 started on Thanksgiving Day. Three games happened. Detroit looked like they had a chance to, to potentially win versus the Bears. In the fourth quarter, there was even one spot where they would do every offensive play that they made. It seemed like they just didn't know how to stop holding the Bears. And they had at least like maybe three or four straight penalties on offense, which just ruined any chance they had to potentially score in the fourth quarter. And the Bears were able to win 16 to 14. The Cowboys lost to the Raiders. Ezekiel Elliott has to examine his knee. He may, may be missing a couple of games. But the Raiders were able to win their first game after losing at least two straight games versus the Chiefs and versus the Giants. And the Saints versus the Bills. The Bills uh, blew out the Saints, who really don't have a quarterback. They just gave Tyson Hill a, a humongous contract. And the reality is, he's never really done anything good. If you look at his statistics, he's never had a decent amount of rushing yards. He never had a decent amount of receiving yards. He never got a decent amount of, of passing yards. Yet, he has paid a big amount of money. Long story short, the Saints are missing Drew Brees. Drew Brees not being around is making this team uh, anxious to see if they could turn things around sooner than later. But long story short, the Bills beat them this past Thursday. Looking into the last eight to eight to seven games for majority of the teams right now, we have two kind of fans right now. We have the fans that are hoping that the team who is in playoff contention can continue winning, can continue trying to make the wild or get a wild card spot. And potentially win the division. And then you have another group of fans. Who are okay with losing. Because they like getting a good draft pick. Last year we saw the Eagles. Rather than defeat Washington. Chose to lose. While Jalen Hurts was playing, actually playing pretty good. Versus Washington. Actually had a chance of beating him. You saw Doug Peterson. Take Jalen Hurts out. Bring in the third string quarterback who just didn't look the same and basically lost it for the Eagles and basically helped Washington in winning the NFC East last year. To continue right now, in terms of the AFC East, ladies and gentlemen, where we stand, it's the Pats and it's the, uh, the Pats and the Bills. It's their division. While, yes, the Dolphins have won a couple games, they need to win another five games or four games in order to be considered uh, a team threatening the Pats or the Bills. But as of right now, it's going to be a fight between the Bills and the Pats. Mac Jones is meeting, is uh, exceeding expectation. A guy who wasn't expected to be a top 10 draft pick. A guy who wasn't expected to be as good as Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson. And Troy Lance is right now having a great first season, even though he has no really great elite uh, wide receivers right now for him. Um, now we go to the AFC North. 
The AFC North has the Ravens. And it's so crazy that Ravens, I actually predicted that the Ravens were going to be worse this year because of certain players who got hurt. I mean, statistically, if you look at who they, who they are in terms of rushing and how where their defense is ranked, it's not the same team that you've seen the last couple of years. But they have managed to go 7-3 and three and lead the division while the Browns, the, the Steelers, and the Bengals are right there. They're not far away. But right now, the Ravens have a good spot. Hopefully, they can finish the season strong in the next seven games. The AOC South. The Tennessee Titans, who has, to give them credit, has improved the defense versus last year. But the thing that's hilarious about them, and, and they have lost three games. In those three games, two of those teams they lost to are the worst teams in the AFC. Who are those worst teams? The Texans and the Jets. For some reason, whenever they face the bottom of the barrel teams, they lose. Adrian Peterson was signed a couple weeks ago in hope to help the Russian attack while Derrick Henry was gone. The failed project with Adrian Peterson is done. He's released. Derrick Henry looks like he has a chance to potentially come back in January. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, he does come back and help the Titans in the playoffs. In terms of the AFC West, you know, a couple weeks ago, it looked like the Raiders division to lose. It looked like a team that was going to take advantage of the Chiefs not being as good as everyone thought they were, the same as the Chargers and the same as the, the Denver Broncos. And they were actually doing pretty well. Even after Gruden had got fired, they won at least a game or two. But then it didn't stop there. That stopped there in terms of news for the, for the Raiders. They got, first it was the first Gruden. Then it was Henry Ruggs, and then it was Arnett. And then they lost, after winning at least one or two games after Gruden's uh, firing, they lost at least two or three games, at least two games. But this past Thursday on Thanksgiving Day, they lost to the Cowboys, even though they gave Cowboys every chance to come back, even though the Cowboys were penalized multiple, multiple times. But currently right now, ladies and gentlemen, the Chiefs on a four-game winning streak, they are again leading the AFC West while the Broncos, while the, the Raiders and the Chargers are still in contention, the Chiefs look like they have found themselves in some kind of capacity. They've been, they have found themselves. And we'll see if they can sustain the, in leading the AFC West or will this four winning streak just be the highlight of the season? In terms of the wild card, the AFC probably has the most teams in contention for a wild card spot. Right now, there's a three game tie. For the uh, for two of the spots in the wild card, while there's at least five to six teams in the wing that, with any win streak right now, could potentially put um, put them over and potentially land in the wild card uh, race, leading the wild card race. We'll see what happens in the next seven seven to eight games. In terms of the NFC East, at one time it looked like the Cowboys were gonna run away with this division. The second half happened, and they don't look like the same team. They have lost two games in a row. They just lost to the Raiders. They may lose Ezekiel Elliott for the next couple games. And the Eagles, ladies and gentlemen, are the team that are breathing down the neck. Yes, they're 5-6, and six, but they're great 5-6. and six. They Actually, right now, in terms of the rushing attack, it looks like the same rushing attack that the Ravens had for the past few seasons, where it just looked like they, they cannot... Uh, be stopped, that they were averaging over 170 yards rushing per game, and they just looked unstoppable. 
But as we learned with the Ravens, yes, while during the season maybe it helps win games, it doesn't help you make the Super Bowl. Because while, yes, the Ravens had a great defense and had a great rushing attack, they can never, for whatever reason, make it to the AFC Conference. Or if they did, they couldn't make it to the Super Bowl. We'll see if the Eels can continue this crazy rushing attack and potentially be 500 Sunday when they face the Giants. We'll see what happens there. In terms of the NFC North, well, yes, the Packers still look are still leading the division. This team, again, lost another player in terms of Jenkins, the left guard. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, at one point, his toe problem was called COVID toe. And con- it was considered complications to COVID. But the rally is, is a broken, like, Broken toe has no connection to COVID. The Vikings look like they're slowly but surely finding who they are in terms of defense and offense. They just beat the Packers. Um, We'll see if they can continue this streak and be healthy and win games. And we'll see if all uh, all these things that are happening with the Packers potentially hurt them from winning the division and maybe even making the playoffs. In terms of the South, ladies and gentlemen, the Buccaneers still hold the lead. While other teams don't look as great like the Saints, you know, um, the Falcons look like a team that, yeah, you know, right now they're, they're outperforming what uh, people expect them to be. But they look like a team on the rise. And then the Panthers. And this is an interesting team because this is a team who I said in the beginning of the season that I thought would be 500 or better. This is a team that I thought could be in the playoffs. Sam Donald's out. Old, old man Cam Newton is in. He was okay, pretty good last game. We'll see if Cam Newton can once again work his magic like he has done with the past with the Panthers and lead them into the playoffs or even lead them into winning the NFC South. I don't see it happening with the Buccaneers looking like they're starting to get healthy. The secondary is starting to get stronger. And the team just looks like it's their team, uh, their division to lose. In terms of the NFC West, the Cardinals are great right now. The Rams are there, but because the Rams have looked the way they had the last two games before their bye week, right now we have to say it's the Cardinals' division to lose. Defense and offense looks pretty great. They have won without Kyler Murray and having Colt McCoy as their starting quarterback. We'll see if they can sustain that, sustain that lead over the Rams, and if the Rams could rebound and make the trade for Von Miller look good and make the signing of Odell Beckham Jr. look good or will they even lose themselves in terms of the NFC and the wild card the Rams are again locked for one of the spots they're just they're blowing the lead there's no team close to being right next to them in claiming uh in terms of win-loss record uh as of right now the last card spot for the um for the wild card and NFC could be go to any team we'll see what happens as of right now, legitimately just one spot available in the wild card spot. It looks like if things go the way they do, I don't see the Cowboys, the Packers, the Buccaneers, and Cardinals basically losing th- those divisions. They would have to go on a two to three game losing streak or more in order to really lose them after this week in, in terms of if they would potentially lose the lead in those divisions. But the Rams are locked. I don't see any, I don't see them. You know, being seen a team um, pushing them down in terms of the wild card spots and the rankings between six and seven spot, and we'll see what happens. We'll see if the teams like the Eagles could do some uh, something special 
We'll see if the Vikings can do something special. In terms of the games of the week, games of the week is Titans versus the Pats, player versus coach. Will the Titans be able to bounce back and show that they're the team that can beat any playoff contention team but always lose to one of the worst teams in the league? Or will will Mike Verbal's old coach, Bill Belichick, outsmart him and beat the Titans? We'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. We got the Rams versus the Packers, ladies and gentlemen. Interesting game. Will the Packers bounce back and win versus the Rams? Will the Rams look good with Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr.? What will happen? Can Aaron Rodgers overpower the pain he has in his foot in order to succeed? Will the Packers win the game? Will the Rams? No matter what interesting game, top two teams in the NFC, we'll see if if uh, they can win. In terms of the NBA, ladies and gentlemen, I know I'm late into discussing this, this conversation. I know people have probably debated with their friends and saw it on social media and saw it on ESPN and Fox Sports. But let's talk about what happened last week between LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart. Apparently, during a free throw attempt, uh, Isaiah Stewart was in the middle between LeBron James and DeAndre Jordan. And in the process after the free throw was uh, uh, thrown, um, attempt happened, LeBron James, for whatever reason, thought it was a smart idea to swing his fist at Isaiah Stewart, where Isaiah Stewart had a cut above his eye, made him go ballistic. And guys like Westbrook and Anthony Davis and Camelo Anthony tried to be like these big dogs, looking like they were ready to fight. There was even a video where Camelo Anthony was telling the ref to have Isaiah Stewart not come his way. While LeBron James ran away. Like a punk. I'm sorry to say. You started something. You got to finish it. Or at least make an attempt to say sorry. That you didn't attempt to do it. That it wasn't on purpose. But running away says. You being a punk. You know. I, I don't see anybody. Being able to hit in the eye. There's certain people who just. If you hit them. It it takes them at a, to a place. Where they can't calm down. And the anger just keeps on rising. And the adrenaline keeps on getting rising too. And long story short, it takes a lot to calm him down. Isaiah Stewart was bleeding, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care what LeBron James said. That was a swing. That was a punch. It wasn't trying to like. It wasn't an attempt to basically push Isaiah Stewart away so that if the ball did come LeBron James' way or DeAndre Jordan's way, that they were able to get the rebound. But long story short, it looked on purpose. I think it's hilarious that Westbrook and Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis and Carmelo Anthony, just like grown men, just looking at the situation, it's like, you know what? You have two options. You could be the peacemaker or the instigator. And in my opinion, Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, and Davis look like instigators. Your man was wrong. Your man made him bleed. Isaiah Stewart didn't do anything wrong. LeBron James did. So be the peacemaker. Don't be the guy who's instigating, who looks like they want to fight and make it exceed higher, uh, make it to a situation more than what it should be. And that's what Carmelo Anthony, Westbrook, and, da- and Davis were doing. Westbrook was so worked up in, d- during um, during the situation that he didn't realize that he got a technical foul. Isn't that crazy? I mean, LeBron James was wrong. And in a long story short, the results came in that Isaiah Stewart had to do two game suspensions while LeBron James did one. 
In my opinion, I think maybe as LeBron James kind of felt maybe the, the defense that Isaiah Stewart was doing was so good that it was getting him frustrated. It's like, man, how is this rookie playing me so good? I'm this icon, this king, this goat, and yet he's playing me good. I don't know what was in LeBron James when he swung Isaiah Stewart. But long story short, it happened. LeBron James looks soft because he he basically ran away while he made his other other plays uh, blood ployable by by trying to defend him versus this guy. Crazy situation. It's over. Hopefully, these players can learn from it. And when the situation arises in other with other teams and other players, that they don't react the same way. Another week, another no Ben Simmons. But the updated news on Ben Simmons, ladies and gentlemen, is that he's been fined so much money and he's been gone so much. There's an entire possibility that he has a chance and possibly playing for the Sixers this year because if he doesn't, he will lose majority of his salary or maybe even all of it. We'll see if he can come back and just create some kind of success where maybe teams do want him and they do want to make a trade for him. Because right now he's losing money. Right now his trade value looks horrible. And he's stuck not playing the sport that he supposedly loves. We'll see if that changes within the next week or two. And last week or the week before, I gave the Cavs props. Because they were over 500. They were there. They were at a place where teams, well not teams, where experts didn't expect them to be. Which is a team over 500. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, they're on a five-game losing streak. And they're just one of those teams that maybe they did start off great. And maybe teams are now, you know, finding ways to defend them that they didn't know in the beginning of the season. Now they have. So now that's maybe that's why they're on a five-game losing streak. But long story short, the Cavs have something there. And hopefully they, between now and the season, they continue building on it. And maybe next season will be this, the breakout season for guys like Garland and Rick Rubio and... Mobley and Sexton, whoever's on the team. In terms of Major League Baseball, the other day I was looking at this website called MLB Trade Rumors. And it was talking about Bud Black. If you don't know who Bud Black is, Bud Black is the current manager of the Colorado Rockies. He is a former manager of the, the San Diego Padres, and he was the pitching coach of the Angels when they won the World Series. Currently, right now, he's on the last year of his contract with the Colorado Rockies. So what did I do next when it came down to Bud Black? I was analyzing, should he get a contract extension? What does his record show? So I looked at his record. Do you know what I found out? He's been a manager in Major League Baseball for 14 seasons. In 14 seasons, he's only had four winning seasons. Two with the Padres. Two with the Rockies. How does this guy survive if his teams don't win? Last season was, for example, if you look at the National League and, and what the Rockies did, they had the third best home record out of any National League team. The teams ahead of them were the Giants and the Dodgers. Then you look at their record away, and they had the fourth worst or record away in the Major League. How does that even happen? How does a team have such a great win-loss record home and have one of the worst records away? If you look at a team that, that the way they played at home, they're a playoff-bound team. If you look at a team 
with the fourth worst record away, you're looking at a team destined to lose 100 games or more. How does that happen? Even if they won 36 games, that also means they would have been nine games under 500. And they still would be under 500 in terms of their record away. But they would have been in contention for a wild card spot in September because they could have finished this season with 84 wins versus the 74 wins that they got. How does that happen? Then I looked at a guy named Buck Showalter. If you don't know who he is, he started his career with, with the Yankees. And he's been around, he's been a manager for over 20 years. Right now, he's a candidate for the Mets. And I'm, right now, the Mets are looking for a manager. And I'm analyzing all these guys. You know, there's guys like Buck Showalter, Brad Ausmus, and others who are in contention for a spot. Eric Chavez for, this, for the last spot. Then I look at Buck Showalter. He's been a manager, like I said, a manager for 20 seasons. Do you know how many years he's been a, a coach? I mean, how many winning seasons he has out of 20? 20, 20? 12. 12 out of 20 successful seasons of winning seasons. That's 60% of his career that he's won. Versus Bud Black, who has a three-year losing streak, losing record streak. He's won only 28% in terms of win, win, um, winning season versus his losing seasons. 28. What brutal magic is Bud Black doing? It's crazy. The truth is, he probably tells the owners what they want to hear. The reality, he's a lovable loser. But long story short, short, we'll see what he could do. We'll see if he can help the, the, the Rockies be a better road team than they were last season. Because it's so crazy to see a team have such a, a, a decent win-loss record and then have one of the worst records in terms of losing away. Just very crazy. So, like last week, players have started to sign. More are expected to sign between now and before this December 2nd situation with the whole union and players and owners situation. Players started to sign with the Giants. They brought back players like Alex Woods, and I'm probably going to say his name wrong, Anthony Descalfani. I need, a, I, I need a co-host who could say these names. I just, whatever reason, can't. The Angels stole two Mets and Noah Syndergaard, a.k.a. Thor, and Aaron Loop, a lefty specialist who actually performed amazingly for the Mets, who actually at one time I kind of cr criticized it because I wanted Justin Wilson back versus this guy. And Aaron Loop had a much better season than Justin w Woods when Justin Wilson this past season. Steve Matz, a pitcher that the Mets wanted, signed a four-year, $44 million contract with the Cardinals. The Mets were rumored to wanting him back. Mets were rumored to be disappointed that Steve Matz didn't give them extra effort in terms of signing him like he owed them anything. But Steve Matz is signed with the Cardinals. The Mets did a Black Friday trifecta signing. They got guys like Eduardo Escobar. They got Sterling Morte and Mark Kahana. Hopefully I'm saying his name right. They got these three guys. Escobar looks like a similar uh, deal to Jonathan Villar, a guy who could play multiple visit positions. One thing that makes him better than Jonathan Villar is that he is a much better scoring position hitter versus Villar. Sterling Marte is a was a stolen uh, the steal king last season when he had forty uh, seven steals between the Marlins and between the Oakland A's. 
Hopefully he's he's a much better center fielder than Brandon Amo. And Mark Kahuna is going to be like Kevin Pillar, a guy who's a great backup, but never the primary guy that you want to start majority of the season. He's just a guy who's a, a great situational guy. He plays multiple positions. We'll see what he can do. Sorry for the booger, uh, boogers you heard in my throat right now. And let's talk about a guy who's a free agent right now who's considered to be coveted. His name is John, John Gray. Which I can't, I, I can't get why he is coveted right now as a free agent pitcher. He hasn't been consistently healthy his whole career. And ERA-wise, hasn't been great either. Let's talk about last season, for example. Great at home, he's great at day games. Horrible in every other situation, which means at night, he's horrible. Which means away, he's horrible. If you go, go even deeper, last year, you know, listen, everybody want, you know, in terms of what's considered good season, a guy is supposed to have an under four ERA, right? That's what's, what's considered great. Okay, but in the whole season, John Gray only had two months in where his ERA was under four. In April and July. Every other month was over four. Let's look at 2020, for example. Again, at home, at night, his ERA was over, over eight. His ERA was over eight at home and at night. Again, his situation, away he was good, day games was good. His ERA was under four. This is crazy. How is this guy being covered? I don't want guys like this. Guys who get chances to be in the playoffs, whatever teams, and they never succeed, but yet people want them. No, I don't want you. Knowing that you don't perform well in the playoffs, I don't care what you do during the regular season. That's number one. Two, you got to be close to the same stats in every situation. It can't be a dramatic difference between home and away, lefty versus righty, day game versus night game. You, you are not a guy who I want on my team if I'm trying to be a team that's trying to make the playoffs. Because then you play and contribute to why we lose away. You play and contribute why we can't win night games. And then on top of that, because of your history, I don't see you succeeding in the playoffs. My Mets want him. Which is something I'm, I'm saying, no. If, if Listen, it's crazy to be superstitious. But sometimes in sports... It just kind of happens. You know, my dad never liked that whole suspicions, crossing the legs, crossing the fingers, wearing your hat a certain way. He's, he's always thought it was crazy. But maybe if John Gray wants to play, be superstitious, his best bet to have a great season is to be with a team that plays a lot of day games. And the two teams that led the league in day games last year, and they almost had played half this season, of day games with the Chicago Cubs and the Detroit Tigers who both played 71 games where if this guy John Gray is great in day games maybe you you know you can get majority of his seasons a majority of his starts during the day versus versus at night and maybe his ear ray will look more decent maybe he will have more innings end of the season and strikeouts and win loss record or he can go for the money and it could be one of those teams who just play a lot of night games versus day games. Like the Mets. The Mets don't play a lot of day games. They don't. It, is just, it seemed like this past season they never had two games straight day games when they were at home. They never did. It, at one time, that was something they always did. It was always like 
Monday to Friday, there was always uh, the night games, unless it's the summer where sometimes they will, they had day games to have summer camps come come and take a certain section. You always knew where the summer camp people were because they were always the upper deck section of Shea Stadium or City Field, and you always saw them with their T-shirts so they can all match with each other. But it was always Monday to Friday if there was a game, night games at 7, 10, and then at, and then at uh, the weekend, it was always games at about 1 o'clock unless they had the uh, Sunday game on ESPN if they were facing the Yankees or another team where the game was at 8 o'clock. But long story short, John Gray has to look at who he is and not say, man, and just be realistic. You know, in, in sports, it's so crazy how certain players are good in terms of certain situations, how they're good in certain uh, playbooks, if, they, if they're better in a fast-paced offense versus a slow-paced offense, how certain offensive players could be great in the West Coast Conference, uh, West, uh, West Coast Offense, but you take them and put them in any other kind of offense and they don't look the same. They're not elite or above average. For some re reasons, they struggle. But we'll see what happens there. You know, another player I was looking at was Kevin Guzman. Probably haven't seen his name wrong. Guzman. He just played the last two seasons with the, with the Giants. And they were great. And, and they were great. But a guy like this who hasn't been this good for three straight seasons... You know, you don't have three or four straight seasons where he pitched over 190 innings like he did this past season and have a great ERA. I'm also kind of nervous. And one of the reasons why I'm also kind of nervous, did Kevin Gusman have a great season because of the pitching coach in San Francisco? Did Was the environment suitable for him that made him uh, play good? Did the did guys like Brandon uh, uh, Crawford, Brandon Belt, and Buster Posey, did they do something to calm him down? Why did he perform like an all-star and a potential Cy Young guy in San Francisco versus every other team he's been with? Why? So that kind of guy, you know, the Mets want him too. And like, no, don't go for a guy who doesn't have a great track record. In my opinion, there's two pitchers who I would love for the Mets to get. I liked Stroman, Marcus Stroman, because I like that he gets a lot of ground balls. He shows he can perform in New York, and his guarantee that his ERA would be under four. Or Max Scherzer, where you have to pay a significant amount of money, but he comes in and he's automatically uh, an ace for the team, a co-ace with uh, Jacob DeGrom. But I wouldn't go after guys who just don't have a track record, who have a splits nightmare, you know? And that's what teams, these teams have to analyze. Who are the players who you're interested in terms of adding on to your team? Are they like John Gray, who's maybe good at home, but horrible away? A guy who plays great at day, but horrible at night? Who's better versus lefties versus righties? What kind of guy do you want? Go for the guy who maybe gave you the mediocre season, but his track record is also great in the playoffs. Those are guys who you want. Guys who who don't have the elite numbers, but for whatever reason, they show up in the playoffs every chance they had. Versus the guy who's going to give you 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, but you know he's going to hit below 200 in the playoffs. And he would potentially be the reason why you lost in the playoffs. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Truth and Rally podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on Spotify, Apple, and all podcast apps. 
to be updated when a new podcast episode is available. Subscribe to them. If you subscribe, you will know when you hear my my crazy voice. Or maybe you won't. Maybe just glance, you know, hear for five seconds and continue moving on. You can also follow me on Instagram. Where on Instagram, you can cl- click to a link. You know what that link, link leads you to, ladies and gentlemen? To a website. My cheesy website that I'm trying on my own, paying my own money, thanks to WordPresser.com that helps you make your own websites and you have to you know use your own money to actually help it out a little bit more but ladies and gentlemen that is my episode of the truth and rally podcast i am reporting in the middle of nowhere have a great weekend but an even uh, even better week bye bye ladies and gentlemen